Good morning, church. Hope you have your Bibles with you today. You can turn them to John 15. That's where we've been the last few weeks. Now, before I get started, because I love you, I have been told that there's a mercury sable outside with the window down and it might rain. This is your, this is your chance to go roll your window up. Okay. We are a few weeks in now to this sermon series called Abide, uh, focusing on chapters 15 and next week a little bit of 16 from the book of John. These are the last hours really of Jesus' life before his uh, crucifixion. It's been really neat. The first week we talked about how Jesus is talking to his disciples and he wants to tell them about their relationship with him moving forward. And then last week we talked about the relationship with the disciples and one another. And today, Jesus wants to warn the disciples, and I think also us here in this room today, 2,000 years plus later, about our relationship to the world. When we say the world, you know, there's a couple ways you can think about it. The world is, is what God created, which was good and perfect and pleasing to Him, did it in the way that He wanted to, and it was all right. You can think of the world that one day... He's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth down, which will be completely perfection, right? And no more suffering, all those things. But in the book of John, when we see the world, normally what we're talking about is not the perfect good thing that God created, but instead the, the current moral order of the wor- world that is standing in opposition to all that God is and all that God is doing. Are you with me? It's, it's this idea that it, it is always... Uh, brought with it with the idea of worthlessness and evil and temptation, uh, irregular desires. The people of this world as opposed to those who are seeking the kingdom of God. Two different people going in two different directions and they are opposites. The people of the world are subject to Satan because he is the ruler of the world. Okay, are you with me? Christians are not subject to Satan because they are no longer part of the world. But we know that the world is bad. Everyone knows the world is bad. Even non-Christians know there's bad stuff going on in the world, don't they? Michael Jackson knew it. On his uh, album Dangerous in 1992, he had a song called Heal the World. You remember that song? Heal the world, make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. But today, specifically, we're talking about the world being bad for Christians. Okay, Jesus is talking to his disciples again only hours before his crucifixion and he wants to warn them about this coming hatred. Did you know that research groups today, they estimate the number of Christians killed every year specifically because of their faith is more than 8,000. More than 8,000 Christians martyred every year because of their faith in Christ around the world. There are currently more than 100 countries who either restrict Christianity or are hostile toward Christianity. And I would say as a young person, when I was little, growing up in the church in America, you know, 30 or so years ago, I never would have thought America would be one of those countries. But we seem to be moving in that direction, don't we? More than 100 million Christians are currently suffering persecution around the globe because of their faith in Christ. 
And as Jesus is closing in on the end of his earthly ministry, he's been teaching the disciples and preparing them to continue to follow him once he's gone. You know, he's kind of saying, hey, it's been a great three years, but I'm leaving and and here's the plan. He wants to tell them about this new community that he's building. It's called the church. And this, this new community, the church, is going to be known by their love for one another and their deep commitment to following Jesus' commands. That's how that church will be known. And now in these passages that we're going to study today, he wants to let them know how the world is going to respond to that new community, the church. He's preparing them for persecution that they will undoubtedly face. He wants them to know what's coming. He's warning them of the coming hatred, the animosity. In fact, in our passage today, we find some form of the word hate eight times just in these handful of verses. I would encourage you as we read through these verses, take your pencil or pen or marker or whatever and and underline really hard the word hate or hatred or hated. John 15, and we're going to finish the chapter today, verse 18 to 27. Jesus is going to explain the reasons that the world will hate Christians. But then he's also going to tell us how we are to respond to that hatred. So let's read today. John 15, verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Jesus is talking to his disciples that night before he's arrested. And he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Can we pray? Father, as we open your word, I pray that uh, your spirit helps us to understand it correctly and clearly. I pray that you would be at work in our hearts today so that we would take what we learn and apply it to our lives. I pray that you would shine a light on the dark places of our hearts that are still living in rebellion against you so that we can boldly walk out of this place living in alignment with your word. Amen. So why does the world hate Christians? In our passage today, we're going to find five things, five reasons that Jesus gives his disciples that the world hates Christians. The first one is this. The world hates Christians because the world hates Jesus. He starts here by saying, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And that word if is not expressing uncertainty. It's more like if the world hates you and trust me, they're going to. Just know that they hated me first. It's a guarantee. If you're following Christ, the world will respond to you in the way it responded to him. Did the world hate Jesus? 
Well, sure. I mean, literally hours after he said this, he was arrested. He was tried for crimes he did not commit. He was mocked. He was beaten. And eventually he was killed on a cross, a criminal's death for crimes he didn't even do, sins he never committed. The world hated Jesus. Since sin entered into humanity with Adam and Eve, every person that's ever been born was born with a bent toward being in opposition toward God. Including me and including you. If you can remember back before you were a Christian, we lived to please ourselves. We lived for the world. We lived for our fleshly desires. And we were in opposition to God. We didn't have to learn it. We were born that way. You see, the world hates Jesus because the world stands in opposition to all that God is and all that God is doing. Now you say to me, well, Pastor Brian, slow down. You know, it sounds to me like you're saying it's either one way or the other. Hmm. You say, it sounds like you're saying that, uh, you know, we can't follow Jesus and also be liked by the world. Can't we follow Jesus and, and, and be liked by the world? Can't we follow Jesus and be like the world? James 4.4 4 says no. There's only two teams and you can't play for both. James 4.4 4 says you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He calls them adulterous people. He wasn't talking to them like this because they were all cheating on their spouses. He was talking to them like this. He says they were cheating on their God because they wanted to be loved by the world. They wanted to worship the world. They were adulterous people. The world hates Christians because the world hates Jesus. Secondly, the world hates Christians because Jesus has called us out of the world. He has called us out of the world. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you. As its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Christians are no longer part of the world. Did you know that? We're no longer part. When you become a Christian, you take on a new identity. You are now part of the family of God. You are a new citizen in a new kingdom. Paul said to the Philippians, he said, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, in his letter, said, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He continues, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh. He says, You are sojourners and exiles. We are strangers in a strange foreign land. Because our citizenship is in heaven and we are waiting for our Savior to return. We've changed teams and our old team doesn't like us anymore because now we stand in opposition to them. Let me help you understand. In 2003, in the NBA draft, they had these little ping pong balls to decide who gets to pick first. And in 2003, the Cleveland Cavaliers got to pick first. And everyone knew who they would pick. Do you know who they picked? LeBron James. He was only in high school, but he was from Ohio and he was going to be the savior of the Cleveland Cavaliers franchise. And he promised to play for them until he would win them their first ever NBA championship. Except seven years later, even though things had gotten good, they still hadn't won a championship. 
And on July 8, 2010, he announced on live television to the whole world that he was leaving Cleveland to take his talents to South Beach, team up with Dwayne Wade, and eventually win the Miami Heat two championships. When I, if, I, if you can remember back, the, the city of Cleveland, they didn't just want to beat LeBron in the Heat. They hated LeBron. They hated him. They burned his jerseys. They said awful things about him. Even the mature billionaire owner said awful things about LeBron. Okay, this was the greatest betrayal in sports history. He changed teams. If you're a Christian, you have changed teams. Jesus has called you out of the world and into his family. Now, let me say, this is very difficult because some of our closest friends, some of our family members, co-workers and neighbors, they've not changed teams. And we love them. And there will come a time if you truly follow Jesus where you will find yourself in opposition to someone that you love. By nature, we want to fit in. You know, we want to be loved and we want to be respected by the world. But if we're following Jesus, can I please tell you, we will not fit in. It's becoming more and more obvious, isn't it, as the world around us is changing, especially in our country and in our culture? See, we're seeing this unfold almost daily. Christians are faced with a decision to either deny the scriptures and be accepted or uphold the scriptures and be labeled as stupid, uneducated, or even worse, It seems that we're headed for a time where if we want to uphold the scriptures, we may even lose some of the rights and freedoms that we've been accustomed to in our country. And unfortunately, the desire to be accepted by the world and by man is so strong that many have chosen to reject Jesus. If you're not hated by the world, it may very well be because you have rejected the ways of Jesus in order to be accepted by your old team. The world hates Christians because we are no longer part of the world. Next, the world hates Christians because we serve the one the world hates. Look at verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. Jesus is reminding the disciples of something he had spoke to them earlier. He said, a servant is not greater than his master. He's the master. The disciples were his servants. If they persecuted me... They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. See, we follow and serve Jesus, correct? Do you follow Jesus? Where did Jesus go? Jesus went to the cross. You can't follow a crucified Savior and not expect to get your own cross. I get nervous when we talk to young people today sometimes about becoming a Christian because I think sometimes the way we explain it to them is that your life will be just like it is now, but way better. Instead of letting them know that, no, the, the call to follow Jesus is the call to come and die, to follow him to the cross. If Jesus is your master and he who never sinned died because of the world's hatred, don't you think his servants who have sinned might expect something similar. It's not personal. It's okay. It's not because the world necessarily hates you so bad. It's just that they hate your Savior. You're linked to Jesus and the world hates you. In Acts chapter 5, there's a great story of when the apostles were out and preaching in the name of Jesus and 
These people they didn't like that. They didn't like the sound of that. And so they, you know, arrested them. And in chapter five of Acts, verse 40, it says this. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. You see, these people, they didn't necessarily have a huge problem with the apostles. They had a problem with the Jesus that the apostles were preaching about. But they couldn't get to the king, so they went for the servants. Many professing Christians, they never experience any hatred from the world because they don't actually serve the king. If you've been part of our church for a while, you know that my best friend, who, who we've been best friends since we were five, he's a servant of the king in a country where that's not allowed. And a few years ago, uh, my friend was, was kind of tricked into going into a home where there was a group of seven men waiting for him. And the door was locked behind him, and they began to beat him over and over again. That wasn't even the end of it. They then put him in a vehicle and took him to the police station. This event had been orchestrated. It was organized. There was a mob waiting there. There were false witnesses already waiting there to tell the police untrue things that my friend had done that were illegal to try to get him arrested and put in prison, all because he serves the king. When he told me about this a couple of weeks afterwards... It was probably the hardest conversation I've ever had to listen to. I didn't know what I felt. I didn't know what to do. But he assured me that there was a peace in his heart because he had experienced something that the king had experienced and he now had a closer connection to him. He serves his king. And the world hates Christians because we serve the one that the world hates. Next, the world hates Christians because the world doesn't know God. They don't know God. Look at verse 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. I've always found it strange in my life when Christians expect non-Christians to act like Christians. Isn't that weird? I mean, as a teenager, I was, I was a Christian now, but I, I still had a lot of friends that weren't Christians. And we went to the park a lot to play basketball. And I was always embarrassed to bring my youth minister. He was always one to meet my friends. Except for when they'd say a bad word on the basketball court, he'd have to stop and preach a sermon about how they shouldn't be using bad language on the basketball court. I'm like, man, they don't know Jesus. What do you expect them to talk like? Jesus is reminding them here. He says, the world doesn't know God. Don't you remember what you were like before you met him? Don't be surprised when the world around you acts in opposition to God and his ways. Don't be caught off guard by that. They don't know him. And people, they tend to hate things that they don't know and they don't understand, don't they? You know, my great-grandmother, she hated technology. She didn't want a cell phone. She didn't understand it. That kind of thing bothers people when we don't understand things. We just don't even want to talk about it. The world doesn't hate undercover Christians because they're not a threat to them in any way. They don't even know they're Christians sometimes. But when it's obvious that a Christian knows God and lives for the name of Jesus, the world will hate that Christian because the world does not know the God that they're talking about. Finally, the last one on your paper there says, the world hates Christians because Jesus exposed the world's guilt. 
Look at verse 22. And there's a couple of hard verses here. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. He's not saying that they weren't on their way to hell because of their sin. He's saying they had a chance to see God and they still denied me. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Why does Jesus say that? Because Jesus also said that the only way to the father is through me. You can't love God and hate Jesus. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause, which is from Psalm 69, which is ironic because the people that were trying so hard to follow the, the word of the law were actually fulfilling the verse that says they hated me without a cause by hating Jesus. See, when Jesus came into the world, he came into a world that was pitch black because of sin. And Jesus is the light. And he's a bright light. And when he entered into this dark world, he shone so bright, there was no longer any hiding place for sin. He exposed the world's sin. All the sin, the shame, the evil was shown for what it was. Jesus made what was hidden visible. Reminds me of a prayer that said we praise all the time. God, please pray that we are praying that what's done in secret will be brought out. <laughs> Just know he prays that for all of y'all. <laughs> you see, he exposed the evil that was in people's hearts. And all those people that thought they were pretty good people, they had to come face to face with their sin. And they hated Jesus for that. See, they thought they were doing the right things. And Jesus said, yeah, I see what you're trying to do, but your heart's in the wrong place. And no one likes to be told when they're wrong, do they? No one wants to admit, oh, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, I was wrong about that. I mean, have you ever met that one person who argues all the time because they always think they're right? And then they hate it when it's proven that they're wrong? Yeah, don't, don't nudge your spouse too hard right there. No one wants to be bad on their own either. You know, you remember that from your teenage years, don't you? You know, if you're going to go do something bad, first thing you got to do is call somebody to go with you. Right? And then if they say no, you make fun of them. Oh, goody two-shoes or, you know, always better than everybody else. Because you don't like the fact that they don't want to be bad. I had a buddy, when I, when I finally gave my life for the Lord's, and I said, okay, God, enough playing around. I'm going to move in your ways. I had a buddy who, who wasn't ready to do that. And there was this tension there. Because I couldn't go and do the things that we used to do together. And he didn't understand. Because he didn't yet know God. And he didn't like the way he felt about himself when I was around. Why? Because the light of Jesus and someone shines on you and it exposes your sin. Nobody wants to, to feel guilty. Nobody wants to feel shameful. Nobody wants to feel like, you know, they're a sinner. What we like to feel like is, well, I'm pretty good. I mean, I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do what he does. I don't do what she did. Right? And so we feel uncomfortable. Do you remember what it was like before you met God? And that person who is the reminder of Jesus in your life would show up at places and you just started feeling all icky inside and weird because they reminded you that there was sin in your life. And everyone hates that feeling. 
That's what Jesus did to the world, and the, the world hated him for it. So, yes, the world hates Christians. And Jesus wanted to warn his disciples this night, and I think us today, 2,000 plus years later, about the coming hatred. But he also wants us to know how to respond to that hatred. So here's the question for us today. How should Christians respond to the world's hatred? It's an easy, short answer. It's love all the people and tell them about Jesus. And I say it's an easy answer because it's, that sentence is short, but it's actually really hard for us, isn't it? Let me explain. You see, when we have family members that love us that don't know Jesus, we want to tell them about Jesus. And when you have that sweet neighbor who loves to bake really good stuff and is kind to you who doesn't know Jesus, you want to tell her about Jesus, don't we? You may even tell a complete stranger if they're kind enough on a three-hour plane trip that sits next to you about Jesus. But the person who hates you because you're a Christian, we're supposed to love them and tell them about Jesus? I have to admit, this was very convicting to me this week. Because my nature is not to look at someone who hates me because of what I believe in and feel love toward them. And want to show them grace and mercy and forgiveness and tell them about Jesus. But here's the good news. We aren't left to accomplish this task on our own. God has sent us the Holy Spirit to be our helper. Look at verses 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. We have a helper. And you also will bear witness. We have a responsibility. Because you have been with me from the beginning. Uh, there's a pastor in Austin, Texas named Matt Carter, and he says this. He says, the Spirit of God will be sent from the throne of God to empower the people of God to witness about the Son of God. Isn't that good? Let me say that again. He says, the Spirit of God will be sent from the throne of God to empower the people of God to witness about the Son of God. That's our job. The Holy Spirit empowers us to speak the truth about Jesus, and we get, all right. Here we go, finally, Brian. I can speak some truth around here. All this untruth being spoken around me because I'm ready to stand up for some things that need to be made right. Except that we often go about it with the wrong attitude. Paul said to the Ephesians, rather speaking truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. What was Christ's? modeling to us on the cross while he is being hated, while he was being crucified. He looked down at the people doing that to him and he said, Father, forgive them. When we speak the truth about Jesus, we're, we got to do it in love. And I don't mean you say, well, I really love that person. I don't want them to go to hell, so I'm going to tell them how bad they are. I mean in love as in, in a gentle way. In a kind way. In a way that if the person rejects the truth that you're telling them, your relationship is still intact so that you can have another conversation next week about the truth of Jesus. Yes, we must be honest about sin. We should not call evil good and good evil. Isaiah 40 warns us about that. And we must speak truth about what sin is and call sin, sin. 
But we must be honest about sin. And honesty begins with us being honest about our own sin. Oftentimes we're okay with pointing out the sins of others. We want to let them know that they're wrong and that they need Jesus. But if we speak to people and we're unwilling to be honest about our own situation, our own sin, our own need for salvation and grace, then we will just sound arrogant and hypocritical. And if I'm honest, that's probably one of the main reasons today that people don't even like talking about Christians because the Christians that they've met have been arrogant and hypocritical in their attitude when they speak to them. You see, if you would walk up to someone and let them know that you were once walking in rebellion toward God and that only by His grace and love were you able to recognize your own sin and your need for a Savior. And even still today, that it's only by His grace and love that there's even any way that you might wake up and follow Him that day and be obedient to His commands. Then you're allowing them to know that you are a person just like them, except that you've just one step along further because you've now met Jesus, your Savior. And in a humble sort of way, you've let them know that you are also the kind of person who needs grace and love from God the Father. Can I give just one piece of advice when you are considering speaking to someone about the truth of Jesus before you open your mouth? Maybe just pray and ask God for honest, truthful words, but also ask for a gentle, loving attitude toward the person you're about to talk to. I think that would go a long way in those conversations. And then finally, this be okay with rejection. No one likes rejection. In fact, if you go around and ask a hundred people why they don't witness to other people, most of them will tell you it's because they don't want to be rejected in what they have to say. We're afraid of that rejection. We we're scared for some reason. But remember, it's not personal. Jesus told his disciples, they reject you because they reject me. You, you can still go on and keep telling them about the truth of me. It's not personal. In fact, when we experience rejection, we find fellowship with Jesus. We can better identify with Jesus. Why? Because he was rejected. He's our Lord. And when we are rejected because of his name, we more closely identify with him and what he went through. You know, the question for us today after reading and studying this passage is pretty simple. Why do we spend so much time, effort, and money trying to be like the world? Because if we show up here on a Sunday morning, my, my initial belief is that a good number of us would claim to be professing Christians, proclaim to be professing Jesus followers. And yet we, we see right here in black and white, there's no way you can be part of both sides. And I think we spend so much effort trying to do just that. We're going to sit on both sides of the fence some way where we can love God and his word and worship in a church family like this. And at the same time, be really no different from those who are outside of the church family. To be even loved and liked by them because that's what we want is to be accepted. 
This passage demands a decision, I think. It lets us know that becoming a Christian isn't an easy decision where not a lot is going to change, but the call to follow Jesus, like I said earlier, is the call to come and die. In, in the letter of 1 John, the apostle says, Do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Can we pray? Father God, you are the one true God. You are creator God. You are eternal and unchanging and you are loving and full of grace and mercy. And it's only because of that love and that grace and mercy that we have seen our own sin and recognize that we were on a path to eternity without you. And only because of your love and grace sending your son Jesus to die on the cross could our penalty be paid for. And you have now removed us from the world to become part of your family. And Father, in the meantime, until we see you face to face, we recognize that there will be a struggle with those around us who are not part of that family. Father, I pray that our attitude toward them is an attitude of hurt, compassion, because they do not know the one true God who can save them yet. That we would love them in a way that would be so attractive that they would have no other option but to ask us why we love them when they treat us the way they do. And then we can share them the truthful hope of Jesus and how you have changed our life and how because of that we know that you can change their life. Father, I pray we would be a church at Heritage that goes out into a world of darkness around us and we would be a light that shines so bright that sin would have no place to hide. And the only remedy for that sin in our life is Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your truth. We love you, Lord. Help us to live for you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Next week, we'll wrap this series up. And then Easter Sunday, we have three services. Please don't miss. It's going to be a great day celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. See you guys.